Today's episode is made possible with support from the law firm of Best and Flanagan, a team dedicated to building uniquely close relationships with all clients, including individuals, businesses, nonprofits, and generations of family members seeking legal advice. Online at bestlaw.com. Best and Flanagan, lawyers you know. I think it was insane. It's insane that we could create product, you know, and that people were willing to take their hard-earned money to buy our product. So, yeah, when we were able to hit our first million back in 2012, it was it was kind of eye-opening, you know, that we we are on to something. And my, my little sister, Kenzie, always says, she's like, geez, one heck of a class project you got here. From Twin Cities Business, this is By All Means, a show about innovation, drive, and purpose, and the leaders who make business work in Minnesota. I'm Allison Kaplan, your host and editor-in-chief of Twin Cities Business Magazine, coming to you from the studios of our presenting sponsor, the University of St. Thomas Schultz School of Entrepreneurship, cultivating the next generation of problem solvers and innovators. The school offers undergraduate and graduate programs in entrepreneurship and corporate innovation, as well as community resources to support new ventures, family businesses, and corporate entrepreneurs. And now, by all means. In any Minnesota crowd, you're likely to spot someone wearing a shirt or hat with the outline of the state and two crossed paddles. That's Soda Clothing, a brand that Spencer Johnson dreamed up in 2011 for a graphic design class at the University of Minnesota Duluth. That class project turned into a very successful brand that was selling a million dollars in t-shirts just a year after its launch. It grew to 100 wholesale partners, a robust e-commerce business, and two stores of its own in the Twin Cities. Then other states got interested, which led to a second brand under the soda umbrella, Classic State, which creates designs for the other 49. Now you're probably expecting to hear that this startup just keeps getting bigger, but as Soda Clothing hits its 10 year anniversary, Spencer's actually pulling back, just taking time to consider what's working, where he wants this brand to go, and what he wants for himself in business and in life. Bigger isn't always better, and Spencer is mindful of what drew him to Soda in the first place, a love of his home state and being out in it. Growing up, I was a, a BMX rider, so I loved doing photography, video stuff. My buddies and I would always get together and make videos of us riding. But I knew I always wanted to do a business of some kind. You know, like as a kid, I grew up doing the lemonade stands and doing all that good stuff. But yeah, I mean, it, it was just kind of in me, you know, and I loved the creative part of businesses. So like the, the photography, the video aspect and the, the graphic design. After college, did you go get like a like an adult job? Yep. <laughs> what so, did you do? <laughs> so after school, when I graduated, I, uh, I went to a company called Spacecrafting. So they're a real estate photography company. Yes. And I think I was the third or fourth person on that team. Okay. So I started out editing photos for them. And then I eventually started shooting a lot of the homes. Um, and then also I worked as a freelance photographer. So I did weddings on the side and then you know, senior photos, lifestyle photos, all that good stuff. Well, it makes perfect sense. If you were going into those homes that spacecrafting shoots, it, you have to start thinking, how do I make enough money to get one of these yeah. homes? <laughs> yeah, it was amazing. I remember going into, especially the multi-million dollar homes, yeah. and seeing how much furniture you had to buy just to fill these houses. <laughs> I mean, it was unreal. But yeah, it was cool going out of school into spacecrafting because that was a newer company at that time. You know, and I was third or fourth employee, and it was cool to watch the growth of 
that company over over those two or three years I was there. So when I met you, it was you, you had a T-shirt, you, yeah. you had a brand, and it was at a time when we were seeing a lot of love for the state, love where you are, you know, love your, you know, what what's true about your your place. What inspired that for you? Yeah, so Soda originally started as a school project. So I went to UMD for graphic design, and we had to do a branding project. And so I decided, all right, I'm going to brand Soda. And originally back in 2010, there was no companies that I liked the, the way that they were representing the state. So I wanted to create a really clean and simple graphics that represented Minnesota. And then Soda Clothing kind of came out of that. Okay. And and so you did you get a good grade first of all? Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's always the number one question, and I got an A on that project. Oh, good. I'm so glad. Yeah. Um, but and so then, did you immediately say this is an actual business, or did you sit on it for a while? So I kind of sat on it. I mean, the the beauty of me graduating with graphic design and also having that photography background, I was able to, you know, go right into a job and then kind of keep working on soda. So it wasn't like, all right, right out of school, this is me, my full, paying all my attention right to it. Um, so I think I graduated in 2010, 2011, and it probably took three or four years before, you know, it really started growing to the point where I could fully focus on it. What? I mean, I you were the first that I saw using soda, and that's yep. S-O-T-A. Yep. Um, but at the same time, you know, all due respect, there were other brands doing Minnesota stuff, and we've got, you know, many heritage brands here as well. What opportunity did you see? Where did you see the white space? I think for me, it was more the, the very clean and simple designs, mm -hmm. you know? And also the, the opportunity to just take it in a different way. I mean, yeah, there were... There were a few other ones that, and I, I appreciated what they were doing and everything. And I was like, all right, how can I change it and make it something that more reflects me and the design elements that I love? Yeah. And so that's where, you know, one of our, our big graphics that kind of helped blow us up was the MM Paddle design, mm -hmm. which is still our number one design really? to this day. In the beginning, it was almost more designy, you know, with just the soda script as one of our first graphics. And then we kind of, started bringing in the state design a little bit more. And then that MM Paddle design just kind of helped us blow up. Huh. So where did you sell your first T-shirt? So in the beginning, we, I, so I, we just did a giant warehouse sale over the weekend. Mm -hmm. And I ran into one of my friend's mom. And she was, it's probably eight years ago, nine years ago. We, I was selling at one of his beer fest events in his backyard where he had everyone come over and dress up, you know, and they were, so I brought over a box of T-shirts and I was selling there. So it was cool having her be able to see, you know, me showing up 10 years ago with a box of T-shirts to this warehouse sale where we had hundreds of people come through. Right. You know, 10 years later. So we did in the beginning, it was a lot of events, you know, just small pop ups wherever we could. I was going to say, I think you hit at a time when pop-ups were exploding. Yeah. There was a different pop-up event celebrating local makers every weekend. And so yeah. you were really able to leverage that. Yeah, pop-ups were huge for us. Um, and that's where we ended up creating the Soda Caravan. And we were able to pull around this vintage camper to all these pop-ups that we were doing. Um, what, what gave you that idea? And was, did you have the money to, to buy that thing? No. So I ended up buying it off Craigslist for $800. It was this old 1962 Chickadee camper. And I drove all the way up to South Dakota, Sioux Falls, to pick it up. First time ever driving with a trailer. So uh -huh. woke up in the morning, drove out there, bought it, drove back that day. 
Um, and the idea behind it was how can we stand out more? You mm-hmm. know, what can we bring to these events that make us different from everyone else? And also the hopes was maybe this will get us into the state fair. Uh, well, that was the big goal. Yeah. Okay. We, we, were, we were realizing that there's a lot going on and we need to just start standing out. And so selling out of a camper, which is kind of fitting with the brand, it, it all made sense. Yep. It was yep. adorable. And yep. It was very Instagram friendly. Yep. That's yeah, what it's it kind all of, about. It worked with all the elements, you know, that were, were going on at that time. Yeah. Um, so did you start making money right away? So in the very beginning, probably for the first three or four years, we, anything I sold, I just put right back into the company. Mm-hmm. So in the beginning, we probably were profitable, but I never took any money off, out, of, out of the books. Um, and then I just kind of reinvested and reinvested. And, and that was nice because I never had to take out a loan. Hmm. And was the, it just you? Were you doing this yourself? Yep, yep. So it was just me in the very beginning. Um, and the only loan we took out was actually for my dad to be able to buy 5,000 pint glasses and 5,000 coffee mugs. And to, then to put soda clothing. To put soda on there. And that was uh, the first time we ever took out money for the company. Did it pay off? Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> it took a while to sell them, you know, but it was that first move of really buying in bulk and being able to get the, a good price for the product. I, I, I think of you just alone designing these T-shirts and printing them and then going to events and selling them. I mean, how did you, were you thinking about this at that point as this is a fun project or this is a business that I'm going to build and grow? It was, it was a little bit of both. I think that's what I loved about it was it was a fun project to me. Um, but also I knew I wanted to grow it to the point where it could start supporting me. So I was able to still have fun with it where it wasn't stressful, especially when it was just me, you know, because I was playing around with the ideas, trying to figure out how to make it grow, um, but also trying to figure out the right way to make it grow into a, an actual business. Yeah. Did you, I think about like all the other, you know, Minnesota brands that you came up with at that time. And this was like, this was like 2012-ish. Yep. Is that? Okay. Um, and some of them are still around and I'm betting you're still friends with many. I mean, did you support each other or did you have mentors? Did you get advice? Yeah. So in the very beginning, um, I used to live in a triplex in Minneapolis. And on the very top floor, my, I had my uncle come over and we built this giant eight by 10 table up there. And the whole idea behind it was to invite other local businesses to come work with us. So that was in the beginning stages of our good friend of Med, who runs Lucy & Co. Mm-hmm. Um, my friend Jack, who runs um, Vibes, the high-fidelity earplugs. He was on Shark Tank for it. Uh-huh. Um, our buddy David that does Cafe Racers on Instagram. So it was all these people that we were all in the beginning stages, and we were all kind of working together um, and kind of teaching each other how to grow, grow each other's businesses. That's amazing. And you weren't competitors no. as such, so you could, you could kind of benefit from best practices. Yeah. What would you say when you think about yourself then in those early days, what were you the most naive about? Um, that's a good question. I mean, probably what growth really looked like, you know, like how many, how many items did you actually have to sell to be able to start making money or how many items do you actually have to buy, mm-hmm. you know, especially in the T-shirt business where you have to have extra small all the way up to double X. You have to have the right quantities of them, all, all of them, especially if you have a good sales day, some could sell out. So I think it was learning that aspect of the business. Yeah. Can, can you make a living on T-shirts alone? Yeah. I mean, it definitely, in the beginning, we were T-shirts and then we started slowly adding, you know, hats and all that and all the other accessories. 
Um, I think we learned that we need to add a lot more, but I'm, I'm sure people have made a good living off of just T-shirts. Um, I want to go back for a minute. We kind of glossed over a major milestone, and I think it was back, what was it, like 2012 when you hit, you had a, you hit your first million yeah. in sales. Yeah, what so, did that feel like? I mean, it was insane. It's insane that we could create product, you know, and that people were willing to take their hard-earned money to buy our product. Yeah. So, yeah, when we were able to hit our first million back in 2012, it was it was kind of eye-opening, you know, uh-huh. that we we are on to something. And my, my little sister, Kenzie, always says, she's like, geez, one heck of a class project you got here. <laughs> you For know? sure. And so, and that's what's fun. It's fun seeing a business like us be able to grow. Yeah, it's validating. Yeah. And you start hiring? Yeah, so my first two hires were actually my two sisters. Uh, my sister, Kenzie, took over all my customer service in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And then my sister Lauren came in and she was the one that actually had a retail background. Mm. So she worked for like JCPenney's corporate, moved back here and worked for Gander Mountain Corporate. And after a few months, she said, if I leave Gander, can I come and work at Soda and help you with it? And I said, sure. Really? No, no hesitation. Yeah. I was ready. like, yeah, we definitely could use someone with your skill level. You know, what did she bring to the table? How did things start to change? So she was the one that was able to the handle all of our wholesale accounts, able to handle the ordering. Do all the planning for the buying was the big thing, mm-hmm. you know, and then working on helping us diverse our, our assortment more, you know. How quickly did you go from selling your T-shirts and accessories at pop-ups to wholesaling? Did, did people start reaching out to you or did you have to make that happen? Yeah. So in the very beginning, I remember I wanted to be, whole, I wanted to be in stores. Mm-hmm. So I remember going, my goal was to go to three stores that day. And this was probably in 2010. And I went into one and the guy said no right away. And then I just got in my car and drove home. Aww. So after that, that's when I decided, all right, I'm not going to, try to sell myself until people know who we are. Mm. So that's where the pop-ups really started coming in. And after we started doing more pop-ups um, and really kind of built up our social media marketing, that wholesalers started coming to us. And, and then that made it easier because yeah. yeah. the, the demand was already there. Yeah. So wholesale really grew quickly, you know, once. And that's where Lauren coming in at that time was huge because she could, she could handle all of them. When part of building this brand, I mean, you were beloved and had big engagement on social. How did you do that? Do you feel like that? Did they find you or or how intentional were you about creating this brand persona? So I'm fortunate enough that, you know, I went to school for graphic design, but I'm also a photographer. Mm -hmm. So in the beginning stages, I would reach out to people that I didn't know. And I said, hey, I have this brand. I would love to photograph you wearing the clothing in your lifestyle. Oh. And so instead of me, who doesn't know how to do all that, where you get to hire a photographer, get everyone line it all up, my goal was once a week, reach out to someone new, you know. And by the time I'd shoot with them, they would hear my story. They became these mini brand ambassadors, you know. And by the time we would post images of them, other people would reach out and say, what's soda? Huh. So that was we were very fortunate that, you know, that we were able to do that on a very low budget way. Yeah, very smart. Um, advice that you would give other brands today in, in terms of working with influencers and leveraging that on kind of a grassroots level? Yeah, I mean, when, when I talk about, I mean, even till today, I, I always go after the people that, you know, that really value when you reach out to them. You know, 
I mean, in the beginning, you think, all right, let's go after the people that have the 1 million or 100,000 followers. It's more of the people that have the 1, the 2, the 3,000 followers that appreciate when a brand like us reach out to them and actually put the effort, you know, into, into exposing. And, and also when people reach out, they, they communicate, you know. Yeah. Have you, to this day, do you do any paid advertising or is it all social? So we do paid just through Facebook and Instagram. Um, we'll dabble and we'll every once in a while do a billboard and test out stuff. But mainly right now, it's just paid through social. Okay. And it's still, and it works. It works. I mean, it's definitely not the same though as it was a year ago. Hmm. Um, so- Facebook has really changed a lot. And so, I mean, it's, and now it's almost like, we kind of need to go back to what we were doing five, six, seven years ago. Really? Kind of getting back out, getting the campers back ready to go, um, and kind of maybe hitting up more events and do that, the grassroots marketing more. Huh. Is that, does that sound fun or is that exhausting? Like, you've already done that. <laughs> it's, it's a little <laughs> bit of both, you know? We, we had to hire a team to be able to take the campers out. Mm-hmm. They had to know how to drive a camper with a truck. Um, so it, it, it's ex- exciting, but also... Yeah, I mean, it, it's easy just to put money behind Facebook. Yeah. It's hard to do that kind of event work and all that stuff. Right. Um, I always wonder, because it is so labor intensive when you're doing those pop-up markets and you're out there every weekend and you've got to staff it and you got to be there. And I know that it can be really important for brands in terms of, you know, building that loyalty and, and relationships, but it is, you can, you can only be one place at a time. And and I just wonder, you know, is it sustainable? So for you, as you built there, but then you started wholesaling, did you phase out the, the pop-ups or, or how did you strike the right balance? Yeah. So eventually we started phasing it out. Um, it's, it's tough because you want to say yes to everyone, mm-hmm. you know, and people reach out and they love having a little, little camper at the events. So I think it was us after, you know, doing it for four or five years, learning what events were worthwhile doing. Mm. You know, and every once in a while, we'll still do events here and there. But, yeah, it's a lot to pull all the inventory, you know, get all the stuff in the camper, load the camper up, bring it over, and then set it up and make it look presentable to people, you know, and then at the end of the night, pull it all down. Right. So it, it's definitely a process that we've learned how to execute well. Um, yeah. But we really do have to be, you know, picky on which ones we do. Sure. Um, what were, what challenges did you encounter as you started moving into to wholesaling? I would imagine one of the, I mean, you just, like you said it before, I mean, it's the quantity. You, you must've had to invest to, to have the, the inventory. Yeah. So the difficulties with wholesale is just, yeah, being able to have enough inventory. Um, and then that's kind of where some of our warehouse sales came from because we would, you, you, I would design up a design that I think would be the best design ever. And then it turned out to be a dud. Well, then we went and bought 500 T-shirts of that design. Ouch. And now 500 T-shirts are sitting in our storage container or in our basement. Yeah. Um, so I think what's hard for wholesale, at least for me, is every, we do two launches every year. We do a spring launch and a fall launch, you know. Are you doing all the designs still? So I do about, now I do about 90% of the designs. Every once in a while, we'll reach out and bring in designers. We had a full-time designer a few years ago. Um mm-hmm. But we learned that what's sold is our core designs, you know. Mm-hmm. So like the ML pa- MM paddle design is still our better selling design. It's so amazing. it's amazing. So we kind of just try to figure out fresher ways to bring that design back. Okay. Um, but how do you, I mean, that's a little tricky, right? It's like you got you to stay true to what made you popular 
but yet you have to constantly be giving people something new to make them want to buy again. Yeah. And that and that's the hardest thing too. And and we're we're selling Minnesota clothing. So it's always how many different ways can you put Minnesota on a on a t-shirt or on a sweatshirt <laughs> or a hat? And we've done it probably, I don't know, maybe a thousand different ways so far with all the different styles and everything that we we put out. So I, I have wondered what it is that makes Minnesotans love to put Minnesota yeah. on everything. And I, I once, you know, reporter that I am actually did that story and asked, like, do we have more Minnesota stuff? Are we more state centric yep. than other states? And it turns out we are. Yeah. Oh, 100 <laughs> percent. Why? What is it with Minnesotans and their Minnesota merchandise? Spencer explains after a word from our sponsor. Today's episode is made possible with support from the law firm of Best and Flanagan. Understand, identify, manage, protect, and realize the value of your intellectual property and other business assets. Expect a customized approach from Best and Flanagan with legal advice carefully tailored to protect your interest within the context of your overall business strategy, goals, and vision. Best and Flanagan, a legal team dedicated to understanding where you want to go and helping you get there. Local advocacy and advice from lawyers you know. Online at bestlaw.com. Turns out there's a bit of geometry that goes into selling state clothing. Here's Spencer. <laughs> Why? I don't know. I mean, I think it's, I, I, all right, I know Minnesota, the shape is good. And yes. I also know that Texas is really big, mm-hmm. you know, and Texas's shape is very unique. I think it's also when the state is a little harder to live in, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, our winters are rough. The spring has been really rough. It's kind of like a badge of honor when you're able to wear, you know, saying you're from Minnesota. Right. right. So, I don't know. I mean, we just love our state. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you don't ever worry or didn't in the earlier days that you were going to max out on how many Minnesota garments people needed? Yes and no. I mean, I, I worry about that. I mean, we're on year 10 right now. Mm-hmm. So I hope that people still look at our clothing and still love the new designs and love the Minnesota love. Um, and I hope it, it keeps going for years on end. Were you ever tempted or have you been along the way to, to veer off of, you know, putting, you know, soda on things? Yeah. So as a designer, you always want to try new stuff. Yeah. So I would try, you know, a more modern looking design that maybe is a simple square with a circle you know, attached to it or something like that. Mm-hmm. And we would do a small run and then that wouldn't sell. And I'd be like, all right. So you, you start learning, all right, people are here to buy Minnesota stuff. And our storefronts, it's kind of fun now because it's a mix between Minnesota and we wholesale other people's products. And in there, we can kind of ch- try out different stuff, you know, and especially in our Stillwater store, we have so many different people coming through that maybe just don't want Minnesota. Mm-hmm. So we can test out test out other stuff there. I love the way your stores have evolved. Let's talk about that. You, What year was it that you um, opened your store in St. Louis Park? So in St. Louis Park, it was four years ago. So I think 2018. And we opened that in August. And um, was that a big decision? Why did you, why did you want a store? So we, we purchased the building in St. Louis Park. And it just worked out that we were able to add a storefront within that building 
and have our warehouse in the back and have our offices all under one roof. So it really wasn't that you went out seeking a storefront. No. You went out seeking warehouse office space. Yep. Yeah, we went out seeking a new place because we outgrew our, our location in Golden Valley mm-hmm. because of wholesale, because we, we ran out of space. And, and you were at that point wholesaling to like how many retailers? I think at that point we were probably at 150 retailers. Okay. And, and would you say yes to anyone who wanted the product? So we had a, a zip code protection. So it was within a certain mileage from a zip code uh-huh. that we could sell to. So if there was two people in the, you know, within five miles of each other, we wouldn't sell to them. Okay. Um, did Did you learn anything about what types of stores your product works best in? Yeah, we were always amazed. Like one of our better wholesalers was um, Toby's off 35W and oh. up in Hankley. Yeah. And they could, they can sell product like no other, you know, <laughs> and they're a gas station, a bakery, a restaurant, and yeah. also a really good gift shop. So it, it was fun when we would say yes to them and then learn, see how they would perform, you know, because you could see the orders come in and how quickly would they reorder. Um, and Toby's just crushed it. Isn't that funny? Yeah. yeah I, w- I would put bets on like bigger gift chains and things like that. Yeah. No, Toby's was, was people up go there. to Toby for the pie. Yeah. <laughs> Pie and pie, T-shirts. Pies and T-shirts. I get it. Okay. So um, so wholesaling is going well and you you need space. You open this store and, and, it, and it isn't like a real retail desk. I mean, it's a, the store itself has to be a destination. It's, yeah. not a, it's not in the middle of a busy shopping area. Did it take off right away? So in the beginning, it was, I mean, in the beginning it took off because we were able to, that was our first storefront, you know. But then it slowly, the traffic kind of died down and died down. Mm. Um, and then we learned that our St. Louis Park store is a really good holiday store. Mm. So during the holidays, that store just crushes it. You did a good job of like bringing in other local brands and kind of making it an event and a destination. Yeah. So we, yeah, we, we have other products now at the store, but then we also, we have two murals on the side of our building, you know, so when you come there, you can take photos in front of our um our You Betcha mural and our giant lumberjack mural. Um, and we really tried. We wanted that store to be a destination, you know. Mm-hmm. We want you, if you are been out of state for a while and you're coming back to visit, we want you to have that be on your list to come visit our soda clothing store. Yeah. You're, you're smart with the, uh, with the Instagram moments. Do you like Instagram or do you just recognize it as a good business tool? No, I like it. I, I, in the beginning stage, especially as a photographer, I was part of all of like the they, back in the day they had Insta meetups, you know, mm-hmm. where all the photographers would get together and shoot photos at some random park or something like that. So I really appreciate that aspect of the marketing, but also that platform. Yeah. Um, it, it's just a fun platform to be on. It is amazing how people will drive out of their way for a, for a good backdrop. Yep. For yep. their photos. Yep. And it's all about the gram. I mean. Now it's kind of turning into TikTok, which your mother is well aware of. <laughs> yes, um, she is. And, and TikTok, we're, we're still getting into that. It's really hard for me to now switch from an Instagram photo platform, you know, mm-hmm. to a video platform. So that's kind of interesting now at my age, which is I don't consider myself, you know, too old. Uh-huh. But learning a whole new platform is just you have to rethink about it, you know. Right. Nothing like a new social media platform to make you feel old yeah. when you thought you were a master of and the be like, wait, one. how do I post this video? <laughs> so are you do you feel like it's important for Soda Clothing to be present on, you know, wherever? Do, do you follow your customers or, or try to lead them there? Yeah, I think we still push, you know, Instagram and Facebook the most. Mm-hmm. 
we're we're dabbling in TikTok. Um, we've had some employees that know TikTok better than we do. Mm-hmm. Um, especially the younger employees. Yeah. So we're trying. Tumbling, Spencer. Yeah. Yep. It's it's tough. <laughs> especially when you think you have everything figured out. Right. And then you realize you don't. And then it changes. Yep. Um, but but do you do you see opportunity in the video? landscape for yeah. the brand. Yeah, I definitely do. And especially with clothing, you know, I've seen other brands execute it very well, you know, and showing how a, a, a garment fits on your body and kind of showcasing it and showing why you like, you know, the sweatpants with this sweatshirt. Um, it's something that we definitely need to do more of. But yeah, I definitely see the potential. Yeah, it is. It is kind of exhausting, though, because you, you can't stop. Yeah. It's always changing. Yeah. The minute you get comfortable. Well, and we've been doing this for 10 years now. I don't know how many images we have created, you know, for social media. Mm-hmm. And it's hard. You know, it's hard to try to produce something every day that eventually is just going to disappear in 24 hours. Right. Where right. you put a lot of effort into these images. Yeah. For sure. Do you have a whole team now that runs social or marketing for you? Um, so we kind of divide it up through Soda. And then we have friends like one of my good friends, Roy. He's our photographer that we go to for all of our shoots. Um, so now I don't shoot any, any of this stuff. I'll shoot like the product photos to get them on the website. But we learned that we have this good group of um, talented friends. Let's start bringing them in and start um, using their talent to help us produce new content and all that. How big is your actual team? Like how many employees do you have? So in the office, we have about seven. Okay. A couple in the warehouse and then probably another 20 for the the retail stores. Okay. Um, so retail stores, after St. Louis Park, you then added another store in Stillwater. Why did you decide to do that? So we got reached out to from a guy that was renting the building saying, you really have to come down and check out this location. And at that point, I think we even wrote on our goal list was not to open a retail store that year. <laughs> not to open not a Not to open a retail store. <laughs> this is your goal. Our goal was not to do it. And we okay. went and looked at it. And Stillwater is just such a beautiful town. And we're right on Main Street. We're basically the first building, first um, store you see when you come in. Mm-hmm. So, and the windows are huge. And we, we like new challenges. You know, especially as a team, we like new challenges. And so we brought in a few of our other team members to come look at it and their eyes lit up and we're like, let's just give it a shot. So originally we signed um, just a short term lease with them. And now since then, we've signed a longer lease. When did it open? So it'll be a year in June. So it hasn't been a year yet. Okay, so you opened kind of in this weird COVID-y, not yet out of the pandemic time. Yeah, it was definitely not the easiest time to open a store. Was that, yeah, I mean, that had to be a little nerve wracking. Yeah. And especially a retail store, it's a love-hate relationship, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you love it. And then it, it's it's tough because you have to try to get customers to come in every day, yeah, you know, and buy your product every day. Um, otherwise, some employees are just sitting there, you know, and just waiting for a new customer to come in. So, and definitely during a pandemic, you know, makes yeah. it even harder. Um, good time though, in terms of like being able to get the, the lease deal that you want. Yeah. To I, try think, it out. I think that's the, that's the benefit of this time right now is there's spaces opening up. Mm-hmm. So if you do have a creative idea or a, a fresh approach to that retail spot or that location, this is a good time to, and especially places are, they're waiting for new stuff coming in, you yeah. know? Yeah. 
And I think people seem to be anxious to, to get out. Are you finding that they are shopping? I mean, what what is your breakdown right now of online sales versus store sales? So it's about 50-50. Really? Um, it'll change during the summertime. So Stillwater will basically do probably do three times the sales in the summer than it is right now. Mm-hmm. So we're just waiting for that warm weather to come. And that's where it works out very well with Stillwater because Stillwater crushes it during the summertime. But it actually wasn't that busy during holiday. Hmm. So that was, and then our our St. Louis Park store does very well during holiday. So that was an interesting learning curve for us. You so, know. so what do you do during the, do you just sort of have to know that mentally, that there are days where you're paying staff and there might not be a lot of customers? Yeah. Especially now if I look outside and it's a rainy day. Yeah. No one's going to Stillwater on a rainy day. Yeah. So we just know, and that's the life of retail, right, mm-hmm. is you just... You have good days and you have bad days and you just kind of average them out and hope for the best. Big picture, though, do you feel like physical stores are here to stay? Does a brand eventually, I mean, do you need to have that storefront? I think it's it's a mix. Like if you want to be a one to two person team, you could definitely just run an online business with a fulfillment center, mm-hmm. you know, but if you want your brand to grow and you want it to be a bigger part of the community then you kind of need to do more than just online. Right. And that's where we kind of felt like we we also like creating spaces, you know, and inviting people into the space and kind of showing them the way that we would take a retail store. How does a Minnesota clothing store retail store look? And so we enjoy that aspect. And, and I think it's a great way to reach new customers that you never would reach. Um, meanwhile, you other states were feeling left out. They wanted a piece of the soda action. Yep. At what point did you start making product for other states? So I think that was probably 2018. We were selling the Shields, the sporting goods store. Uh-huh. Um, and we would get reached out to from like North Dakota Shields or Kansas Shields. And they like they were saying, we like what you're doing, but can you produce something similar in style for us? Was it um, one one question? Shields is a big company, big big um, national retailer. Did they have a program to do? I mean, were they doing localized brands in different markets, or were you unique? I think the Minnesota one must have been one of the more unique ones out of all of them. I'm sure they were. Mm-hmm. Um, but then they just started reaching out to us, you know, to be able to create. So we would create the North Dakota graphic for them, or so that's where we ended up creating a brand called Classic State. Um, that kind of was all the other 49 states. And you did all you did graphics for all 49 yeah. states. So right now we, we've kind of changed the business model now for Classic State. And it's more um, headwear and giftables. Mm-hmm. And of course, it's space. You know, luckily hats are one size fit all. Um, so, yeah, we literally have every other state on a hat. So right you had now. to figure out what what would be equivalent to the paddles for each state. Yeah. And which is a very difficult thing to figure it out. Yeah. What which state is the best seller? Right now New Mexico actually. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Why? What's I don't the... know. I mean, we have some really good wholesalers in New Mexico uh-huh. and yeah, they just crush it. Colorado's up there. Well, what's um, the design for New Mexico? So we use their their their, their icon um for New Mexico and then we we're playing with new designs right now. Uh-huh. So I don't know if other people weren't doing, you know, what we what we are doing in New Mexico, mm-hmm. but yeah, they they appreciate it. Do you always use the state shape in your designs? We try to mix it up. Yes and no. I mean, it depends on the state. 
Like mm-hmm. Colorado is a hard one, you know, because it's just a square. Right. So we don't really do much with Colorado state shape wise, but we, we mix it up here and there. You know, what's, what's your favorite state shape to work with as a designer? I think Texas. I mean, clearly Texas is really cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, California is a great shape. Mm-hmm. I think it's definitely those more unique shapes. Yeah. Florida. Florida is great. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, Florida's been great. That is that is so crazy though. You would think that it would be the bigger states that would be the best sellers. Yeah. But sometimes it's the more unique. Yeah, for sure. Um so you now the the classic state brand is that run as a totally separate company? It it still runs through Soda, but it has its own brand, you mm-hmm. know, and it's its own website and it lives off of soda. Um, and that's still wholesale. And that's still wholesale. Yep. Beyond Shields now. Yep. Shields was just sort of the inspiration. Yeah, to... that's kind of just got it going. Okay. And that's where we learned that with with clothing, I mean, one sweatshirt, you know, you're going from extra small all the way up to triple X in some some situations. Yeah, it's a big investment. That that takes up a lot of space and a lot of room in a big investment too. So you're just so you're limited to hats. Limited to hats and other one size fit all items. And when they come calling from New Mexico and they're like, "But your hats are selling so well, we really want a hoodie." You say no? Yeah, we try to. <laughs> um it's up to my sister Lauren runs that program. Sure, blame so, it on your sister. Yeah. So <laughs> She tried. We were trying to streamline it. And again, we're still learning and we're still learning different positions or different ways to, you know, kind of work the brand. Yeah. So is that the future when you when you put your, you know, CEO hat on? Do you see is that where the real growth opportunity is where you've got all 50 states versus the one? Yeah. I mean, we hope that we can what we're doing here in soda that we can, you know, grow throughout the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, so like with stores specific to each market? Yeah. And then we're also trying to keep or create more um, generic hats too that kind of work for every state. Mm. So that's another goal of mine is as a designer, how can I create a hat that works for if you're in New York and someone in Mexico, you know, New Mexico, how can they both wear the same hat. Uh-huh. So we're, we're trying to come up with a collection, you know, that kind of fits all, but then also state-specific, too. So how do you, and I think this is a, a common um, challenge for entrepreneurs because you get into the business because you love making the thing, right? Yeah. And for you, it was design, and you're still doing a lot of design. How do you kind of divide your time and your headspace between design, which is key to selling, and running the business? So my rule is in the morning, I make my coffee, put on my music, and I literally probably have an hour of creativity in me. <laughs> so usually I reserve my morning time for being creative and designing and coming up with new ideas. And then I go into the office and then that's more the business side, you know, and kind of the day to day. That's why we're catching you in the afternoon. Yep, yeah. <laughs> the morning. And it's amazing. Like I only need a good hour, you know. Yeah. To be able to work on something new and fresh. Uh-huh. And, and and you're disciplined about saving that time. I really try hard. My Every meeting will not be before 11 a.m. basically. Really? So w- did you come up with some cool design this morning? So we're working on, we actually just launched a new area code specific. Um, so we're, test, we're, we're testing out new stuff now. So we launched like a 612, you know, 952. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're, we're kind of playing around with different stuff within the state, you know, that we haven't really tried. Uh-huh. So I'm kind of excited to, to see what else is out there that we haven't really touched on. Interesting. 
Um, what part gets you the most excited? Do you like the mix of doing both things? Or if you had your way, would you just be designing all the time? I think the designing and the new ideas, you know, like coming up with the soda caravan, working with our guy that built out the camper. I love that stuff, you know, Mm -hmm. like taking stuff that wasn't originally, didn't exist, you know, and then making it into a completely different element that you're able to use and actually bring out. Yeah. Um, and the design part, I love being able to create something on the computer and then physically see it on an item and then see it out and about where someone's wearing it. You must see it all the time. Yeah. There's <laughs> definitely, yeah, it, it, it's out there. You know you're at the right um, spot in the airport when you see a bunch of Minnesota stuff, you know. <laughs> do you ever walk up to people and say, I made that? I don't, but when I'm with friends, they do. Oh. <laughs> I mean, I try to, yeah. Keep a low profile. Yeah. Um, do you ever think about bringing in someone to, to run the business side? That happens a lot. Would you ever, you know, step away from being, you know, the, the CEO? Yeah. No, that definitely comes to mind, you know, you, you, especially when times are hard. And for myself, I'm not a, a, someone that's trained in business, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm trained in graphic design, photography. I'm a creative. So it's very difficult being a creative and also trying to run a business at the same time. Yeah. And you do wonder if someone else came in, what would they do with your business? You know? Yeah, it's a little scary. Yeah, it's scary. But then, yeah, it's kind of exciting and scary at the same time. So do you have mentors? Do you have people that you can turn to for for those decisions? Yeah, luckily, I mean, our the friends that we mentioned in the beginning, you know, that have been running their own brands for a while, we will try to get together at least once a month, you know? Mm-hmm. And then I have some other friends um, like Mike from Spacecrafting that's really grown his business. He was crucial, you know, in the beginning stages where I'm like, there's just so much going on. When you have employees, there's a whole nother sure. set of headaches that come with it. And you just don't know how to how to handle a lot of situations. Yeah. So so what would you say um, is the most valuable resource out there for other entrepreneurs in your situation? Meeting other people that are in that similar world, you know, growing up riding a BMX bike. All my friends were BMX riders, so uh-huh. we all would push each other, would learn from each other. Then as I started getting into the entrepreneurship world, finding friends that were doing similar things, and they, they really help you, you know? Yeah. And it, it gives you someone to talk to when times are hard or ideas that you want to bounce off. Um, so I highly recommend finding a good group of people to kind of be able to work with. And what would you what would you say is your best advice in going from being a a maker and and I I use that I think of that as you know the people who are doing a lot of the pop-ups and markets but you know maybe haven't gone beyond themselves. They don't have staff yet. They don't have storefronts like you. Going from being a maker to really truly being a brand and a business. What's yeah. the key? I mean, I think the growth. I think I'm a big believer in the slow growth, you know. Start out with the pop-ups, learn from yourself, finally eventually be able to hire a couple people, you know, and then learn from that, you know, and then take those stepping stones um, and then eventually find people that know more than you. Yeah. I'm lucky that I was able to find employees that know way more me in certain areas, um, especially bringing in my sister, Lauren, you know, that was that was huge. Yeah. So I think being willing to realize that, A, you don't know everything and when you are ready to hire someone. Make sure you hire someone that has a different talent that you don't have. Mm, Good advice. You know, so then you can feed off of each other and learn from each other at the same time.
You made a, a big decision just recently to move away from wholesaling. Yeah. So that means that Soda Clothing is only going to be available through your website and your stores. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Why? We, so you're pa- in so many stores. I know. The pandemic, it, it kind of. I mean, it was a mix of a lot of stuff. It was between you know being able to buy the inventory. We were running out of space. Um, and also being able to get inventory during when the inventory, the shortage was happening. Mm-hmm. So we, we're, we're kind of taking this year as a year to kind of reflect, maybe kind of look at it. So the way we wrote it to all of our wholesalers, it's, it's just goodbye for now. Um, so maybe we'll come back in the future and kind of rework our, our wholesale business. When we first started, we were just online and then we started adding wholesalers and then we got retail stores. So for us to be able to provide inventory for all of them was a difficult, it was a challenge. And I mean, I think every business hits those kind of growing pains along the way. How do you know, well, is this the time when we need an infusion of cash? We need investors or we need to scale back. How do, how do you make those decisions? So my rule was I never wanted to take all loan. Okay. So since then, besides the loan that my dad gave me to help buy those pint glasses, we've never taken out a loan. Huh. So I, I look at myself as and there's a ton of different entrepreneurs out there or business people. I, I like the simple part of business. You know, there, there's people that want to scale and grow and have 12, 15 locations and have, you know, have it all. I appreciate having what we have, you know, hmm. it's, it's. It's either you keep chasing it, you know, and you always want more or you realize what you have is a really great thing uh-huh. and appreciate it. Huh. And I don't want the stress of having these loans taken out against me Yeah. while I can, you know, clean it up and do a simpler version of what we're doing. Isn't there pressure, though, to, to keep growing? Yeah. Yes and no. I mean, you, you want to keep growing because you want to keep doing it for other people and for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you realize that that growing is, it's a lot, you know, <laughs> it is, it's, you, you kind of take on a lot of things and that's where I think people need to realize, do you want to be this huge company that either you could run yourself into the ground, mm-hmm. you know, or you can be very smart with what you're buying and what you're purchasing and how big you want to get. Mm-hmm. I always like Dangerous Man, the brewery, mm-hmm. you know, because they, they have that location. It's a solid location. To my knowledge, I'm pretty sure they don't wholesale their product out to um, other liquor stores. Don't quote me. I hope that's right. Okay, we'll but like you have to come, come to them, you mm-hmm. know, to, to get their product. Mm-hmm. And it's just... It's cool knowing that a business can be whatever size you want it to be. Okay, interesting. So, so this was actually sort of a, a move to protect the, the core and protect what's, what's working well. Yeah, yeah, okay. and kind of bring it down a little bit. I mean, we, in the beginning when you're growing, you want to keep saying yes, you know? Yeah. So we were selling to over 100 shops, and we just kept growing and growing. Mm-hmm. And then we would have to keep moving buildings because we would run out of space. You know, yeah. And this building in St. Louis Park, we purchased, and we we ran out of space. Like we literally had to bring in shipping containers to f- hold the inventory for. Mm. And so it was either we went and rented out another warehouse, you know, yeah, and filled that warehouse most likely, or we kind of look back and see what we can kind of change up a little bit and maybe rework our business. Interesting. Can you actually be more profitable doing less? 
I, I'm, well, we'll find out. <laughs> Ask me in one year. <laughs> okay. All right. We'll have to check back with you in a year. So yep. is that sort of what the timeline that you've given yourself? See what happens and then decide if you want to get back into wholesaling? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we're kind of giving us ourselves 2022 to kind of rework it, relook at it. And if we go back, what way do we go back? You know, because mm. in the beginning we were, we had rules that we were following, but we kind of, we kind of just let it go. You like know? what? Like what kind of rules? I mean, with the whole like, with the wholesalers that we would pick to sell to. Um, the hard thing though is when people want like some of our products, we tried not offering wholesale. Mm-hmm. Well, then the wholesalers are like, "Well, can we can we get that product as well?" <laughs> so then we would go buy more of that item. Uh-huh. Um, so I think we're just using this time to relook it and kind of look through it all. Yeah, it's hard to say no. Yeah. What else is on your to-do list? I mean, where where do you, you know, do you have certain things you're like, I got to get this done for this brand or other other things that you want to do? Yeah, I mean, right now we're, we're launching a, an event space within our building called Doc's Hall. Huh? So our building was built in 1890 in St. Louis Park, and originally it was Doc's Barbershop and Pool Hall mm-hmm. back in the day. So we're, we're, we, we're working on that, and we're partnering up with a, another um, catering company called Food Gallery. So we're getting that up and running. And then we hope that the event space can also work with the storefront, you know, because it's all connected. So if there's corporate events going on, we hope that, you know, that they come over and also be able to shop the store or be able to provide gifts um, through, through that. So we, we always have something in the works, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's the fun part. So, and we're, we're gearing up for the state fair right now. We're getting our campers all fixed up. It's been years since we built them out. So they're all kind of getting a, a, a little refresh. How many campers do you have? Now? So we, we have two right now. Okay. I think we'll stick with two. Two's good for us. Do, do you still enjoy doing a shift or two at the state fair? Yeah. This, I think, especially when going back to the maker part, you know, listening and hearing from your customers is such an important part. Mm-hmm. And it also kind of reminds you why you're doing it. You know, if you're always just behind the screen, you know, and you're only selling online and you don't get to hear from people every once in a while, you're like, do people still like what we're doing? You know, mm-hmm. so and every once in a while, I'll work this shift in the store. I'm not the best with the store. So if you want to <laughs> do a return or something like that, I have to go find someone to do that. Uh-huh. You got to outsource that. Um, but no, I definitely do enjoy the state fair, you yeah. know, because you get to hear from everyone and you'll hear from the people that bought from you. 10 years ago, you know, they're still buying. Right. So it's really cool seeing that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know what could be more gratifying for somebody who's in the business of making uh, soda clothing than being at the Minnesota State Fair and seeing it all over the place. For sure. Yeah. The the fair is huge. That's pretty great. Well, it's a great story. It's it's an interesting time to catch you. I appreciate you um, sharing everything with us and and can't wait to to see what this year holds. Well, thank you very much for having me. This was great. Absolutely. And I guess now we know that we got to go online or to the stores to to, to get the gear. Yep. Come visit us or check out our website. Okay. Well, we'll keep us posted, Spencer. Well, thank you. (laughs) Thanks. at a time where it seems everybody just wants to go as big as they can, as fast as they can, Spencer's story and his discipline about how he's growing and scaling back soda clothing is interesting, kind of refreshing, maybe a bit surprising. Let's get more perspective on it. We'll go back to the classroom with the University of St. Thomas Schultz School of Entrepreneurship, where John McVeigh is a professor. Professor McVeigh, I know you have a theory all ready for us that Soda Clothing inspired. Tell us your theory. 
Well, it's not so much theory as a metaphor. Uh, we use oh, this story really reminds me of this metaphor we use in entrepreneurship of a beachhead market. A beachhead market. And as you say, there is a real temptation for entrepreneurs to think we've got to go big. We've got to go for the most target, the most attractive, the largest, most profitable market. And to do that, we got to have a ton of resources and borrow lots and lots of money to go big. Mm -hmm. But this story tells me the opposite. And it's what we advise a lot of entrepreneurs. The metaphor goes back to the Second World War. So the Allies uh, in, in, on the UK are trying to invade continental Europe. And the Germans have fortified the whole of the sort of continental coast. But the big prize is the port of Le Havre. And it's heavily fortified. So the Allies really have three choices. Either you focus your resources and you go straight for the big prize, mm -hmm. in which case you're going to go head to head against overwhelming odds and the chances of winning are not high. Or you spread your resources all the way down the coast, in which case you're always going to be outnumbered and you're trying to be, in entrepreneurial terms, all things to all people. Mm -hmm. But instead of which, you can do the third option, which is to pick an obscure beach in rural Normandy, a battle you know you can win, and you go ashore there you fight hard, you still lose losses, but you win that battle. And from there, you form a beachhead. And a beachhead is a place where you put down your roots, you invest your resources, you build your, you know, your latrines, your <laughs> hospitals, your food depots, your ammunition depots. And when you build your strength in your beachhead market, then you can go across land and go and capture the big prize. Interesting. So... I see that story all the way through Sota, um, Sota's story. So Sota is basically treating the Twin Cities as, as that beachhead, right? With, with the stores here and kind of really owning this local market rather than immediately going big and, and, and trying to go across the nation. Well, it's not just, not just geographic. It's also in terms of its products. Let's start simple. Let's start just with T-shirts, just in Minnesota with a simple design that evokes Minnesota. And let's win that market. And when we win that market, then we can start to experiment with stores. And we can try stores in Lewis Park and then find out it's good at Christmas, but not in the summer. And then try a store in Stillwater and find out it's good in the summer, but not the winter. And then we'll try other clothing items. And then we'll try wholesale. And then mm -hmm. we'll withdraw from wholesale. But if you own your beachhead, it gives you the strength that you can have resources and you've roots laid down and you've won a battle you can win rather than trying to launch with a full product range in every state in the union and trying to build a national brand from the get-go. Right. So a beachhead market is really important. And therefore, market analysis looks different for an entrepreneur than it does a big, well-financed company. Mm -hmm. You may not want to go for the biggest, juiciest part of the market. You want to go for a beachhead that you can win. Right. A beachhead market. I love it. And I think there's something to be said, as, as Spencer mentioned, for having some balance in your life and for building a nice, sustainable business, but maybe also having a little flexibility and not working 100 hours a week. Well, I think the other interesting thing was if you go for a beachhead market, a smaller, more manageable market, you don't have to borrow overwhelming resources and you don't have to borrow debt or other investors, in which case you maintain control, you maintain flexibility, and you can make those choices. Right. If you have sold your soul 
to uh, borrowing all the resources you need to take on the whole market, you lose a lot of that control and that flexibility that folds over into your personal life. For sure. So yes, the beat the beat market's not just a good business strategy. It's a much more flexible personal strategy because you can retain ownership of your own business and control. Makes sense. Professor McVeigh, thank you so much, as always, for the insights. Really something to think about. And thanks to our presenting partner, the University of St. Thomas Schultz School of Entrepreneurship. Go to tcbmag.com slash by all means to learn more about the show and find all the past episodes along with more professor insights. Thanks again for listening to By All Means. Teamwork to make by all means, and we've got some all stars. Thanks to our audio engineer, Tom Forlitti. Digital support is Ricky Hannigan and Dan Nepo. Thanks to the University of St. Thomas Opus College of Business and Schultz School of Entrepreneurship, especially Associate Dean Laura Dunham, for all their support. Our theme music is by Song Finch. Thank you for listening to By All Means.